Well done. Good song. If you've got your Bible, we're going to be in the book of 2 Kings chapter 21. So if you get your Bibles or your phones or tablets, turn over there. We'll be there in just a moment reading several sections from there. We are delighted to have you. We welcome those who are watching us on live stream this morning. There was an occasion in church when there was a large crowd and a small family sat on the front row. And they had a lot of little kids. And before long, the kids got fussy. And so dad took out one of them. Mama was with the rest of them. And the little baby started screaming. Preacher got louder. Baby got louder. Preacher got louder. And pretty soon, mother did everything she could think of, and she took the baby out. After services, she apologized. That evening, they came back, and they were sitting on the very back row. And before services were over, dad was in the cry room with one of them. Mom was in the cry room with one of them. And as mom left, she said, I don't even know why we even try. And you might have had that experience before. And maybe it's not with kids. It may be you assemble, but your mind is so filled with things running on in your life. You got stress, you got worry, you got a big week ahead of you. And all these thoughts are running through your mind. And before you get to the car, you can't even remember the songs we sang this morning. And you wonder, what good is this even doing? This morning, we're going to talk about a wonderful man in the Old Testament. Wonderful story. Not a wonderful man, but a wonderful story. His name is Manasseh. And we're going to talk about the Manasseh mistake. He made a big mistake that hurt himself. And he made a mistake that hurt his family. And he made a mistake that hurt others all around him. And his main mistake was he was given a, a, a great opportunity. He had a huge advantage, but he never took place of that. Imagine being at one of our college students. And imagine that you have to take college algebra. But it so happens your mom and dad are math professors. What an advantage that would be. I was reading about the number one high school football player in America today. His name is Arch. He has two uncles that happen to have Super Bowl rings. Their names are Peyton Manning and Eli Manning. Arch is named after his grandfather, Archie Manning, who also played professional football. Now, can you imagine all of them sitting down on the couch watching a football game, what they would see so differently than what you and I would see? Can you imagine if they sat around the table and discussed football? What an advantage this high school student has when he has uncles and a grandfather who played the game professionally. How many young football players in America today would say, man, I would love to be in that family. I would love to have that opportunity. Now imagine it's Thanksgiving time and they're all gathered together, all the Mannings, and young Arch says, you know, I got a job over here at the ice cream shop. I decide I'm not going to college. I decide I'm not going to play football. I decide that that's what I want for the rest of my life is to scoop ice cream, and that's what I want to do. And everyone in the world would say, you are wasting incredible opportunity. You have talent, you have opportunity, and you're not taking place of those things. And so that takes us to our study of 2 Kings and a man by the name of Manasseh. Manasseh was one of the kings of Judah, and he holds a distinction of reigning longer than any other king in the Bible. He reigned longer than Solomon. He reigned longer than David. He reigned for 55 years. That's a lifetime. Most of you will not work 55 years in your careers. 
And that's how long he was the king of Judah. Now, sometimes people have great ideas, great plans, but they run out of time. This man had the time. This man could do incredible things. And we'll see how he made a major mistake. Let's begin now in 2 Kings chapter 21, and let's read verses 2 through 9. Verse 1 introduces us to him and how he became king. Verse 2 says, He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord disposed before the sons of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah's father destroyed. He erected altars for Baal and made an Asherah as Ahab king of Israel had done. He worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord says, In Jerusalem I will put my name. For he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts and the house of the Lord. He made his son pass through the fire, practiced witchcraft, used divination, and dealt with mediums and spiritualists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Then he sent and carved the Asherahs which he had made in the house of which the Lord said to David and to his son Solomon, In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen from all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will not make the feet of Israel wonder anymore from the land which I gave my fathers, if only they will do, observe to do according to all I have commanded them, according to all the law which my servant Moses has commanded them. But they did not listen. And Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than all the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the sons of Israel. Jumping down to verse 16 of the same chapter, it says, Moreover, Manasseh shed much innocent blood until he filled Jerusalem from one end to the other. And besides his sin, which he had made, Judah sinned in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Over in the book of Chronicles, it says this, And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. Now, here's what's interesting. This is the longest-serving king in the history of the Bible, 55 years. And God gives him one chapter in the book of Kings, one chapter in the book of Chronicles. That's all he gets. And what we see here is here's a man who is sitting on the pinnacle of doing so much good, and he wasted it. And the reason why he wasted it was because he never saw the advantage and the opportunity he had, and that was in his father, Hezekiah. Now, we read from chapter 21. I want us to go back. We're going to start going backwards. We're going to look at several things that Hezekiah, his father, did. This is the household he grew up in. This is what he would have seen. This was normal in that home. And I want you to see how Manasseh missed it. So in 2 Kings chapter 20 now, let's begin the first three verses. When Hezekiah was sick, notice what the Bible says. In those days, Hezekiah became mortally ill. Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said, Thus saith the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Let's just pause there for a moment. Those are the most devastating words you can hear. Well, my doctor said the same thing. When your doctor says things, there's things your doctor doesn't know. Well, that's what my counselor said. Well, here's things your counselor doesn't know. You see, God is above all things. But when the God of heaven says you're going to die, there's no one above God. Who is above God? There's no one. So he says, get your house in order. You're going to die. Notice verse 2. It says, he turned his face to the wall and prayed. Think about that. You're leaving the doctor's office and the reports are not good. 
The test did not come back the way you want it to come. What do you do? Call your family? Call others? Hezekiah turned to the wall and prayed. I dare say, brother, if we looked more at our wall and did more praying, we'd be a better people. When you look at verse 3 of the same chapter, notice what it says. It says here, it says, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech you, how I've walked before you with a whole heart, have done what is good in your sight, and Hezekiah wept bitterly. Turn the page of chapter 19, still talking about Hezekiah, when they were going to be attacked by the Assyrians. Notice what it says now in verse 14 of chapter 19 now. It says, And Hezekiah took the letter from the, land of, from the hand of the messengers and read it, and he went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord. The letter says, we're going to smack you. What did he do? Assemble the troops. Close the gates. No. He took that letter to God. And he prayed. Notice again how this chapter begins. Chapter 19, verse 1. And when Hezekiah heard it, what happens at the end of chapter 18? They're mocking him. Your gods can't do anything. As Assyria has marched down from nation after nation, all those nations had pagan gods. All those nations believed in something. All those nations had temples. Nothing stopped Assyria. Now they're on the outside of Israel, and guess what? You think you're God? Look at all these gods we smacked. You think your temple is something? Look at all these temples we destroyed. You better surrender. In chapter 19, verse 1, Hezekiah heard it. He tore his clothes covered himself with sackcloth, and entered the house of the Lord. Turn the page to chapter 18 where the story begins. It says, Hezekiah became Israel, came, became the king of Israel, or the king of Judah, rather. And it says, verse 2, he was 25 years old when he became king. He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. Verse 3 says, he did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places, broke down the sacred pillars, cut down the Asherah. He also broke in pieces the bronze serpent which Moses had made. Verse 5, he says, he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. Verse 6, he clung to the Lord. That idea of clung is the idea of holding on to. It's the idea of being there. It's the idea of realizing that I got to hold fast, as the ESV says. You're walking your little child across a busy street. You hold that hand tight, don't you? You walk through a haunted house, you might find someone grabbing your hand because they are scared. Now, you young people, when you do roller coasters, you probably do this. Mr. Roger holds on tight when I do roller coasters. I cling. Well, that's why he says he's stuck with the Lord. Now, this is Manasseh's dad. It wasn't that he went to church once in a while. This is a man whose lifestyle, his character, when good times are there, when bad times are there, he is serving and following God. And before Manasseh was a great example, but he didn't follow it. And before Manasseh, the way of God was made clear, but he ignored it. And before God, all the hard work was done. He'd already cleaned out the nation of all the idols. He'd already tore it down. Everything was in place. All he had to do was start doing those things. And yet he did not follow those concepts. Now, if you've got your Bible, turn with me to the book of Hebrews. And notice the contrast here, if you will. Hebrews chapter 11, as it talks about Moses. And in Hebrews chapter 11, 
We begin with verse 23. It says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, when he had grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You understand that Pharaoh's daughter basically adopted Moses. He grew up as an Egyptian. He did not see Pharaoh praying to Jehovah. He did not see when war times coming, Pharaoh going to the house of the Lord, beseeching the Lord. He did not see acts of goodness. He did not see Pharaoh turning to the wall and praying to God. He never saw those things. But still, as the context tells us, he chose, verse 25, rather to endure the ill treatment with the people of God than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. There's an advantage our children have because of you. They have the advantage of seeing that faith is real and faith is important. That's why we bring our little ones here. That's why we don't have a children's church. A lot of places have a children's church. All the children go over there and they play and they eat. And they never learn to be quiet. They never learn to be reverent. They never learn to sing the hymns we sing. They never see the things that we're doing. And then what advantage they have is they see that fellowship is important. They see afterwards that you're standing around talking to people. And you like these people. And these people have something in common with you. And you see a great thing about that. And they see that our Father in heaven is important. And what we understand is this Hezekiah Manasseh story is repeated often and often and often. A godly mother and father has a child who grows up and does the opposite. Hezekiah tore down the idols, Manasseh put in the idols. Hezekiah got rid of the false prophets, Manasseh brought in the false prophets. And here is a child who did exactly the opposite of what his mom and dad did. And for the godly people, we oftentimes feel guilty. We sometimes feel like we didn't do something right. Somehow we failed because our child has grown up and our child has nothing to do with the Lord. And sometimes that's hard on grown parents. Sometimes it's hard for the godly people to understand why is it when we try to walk like Hezekiah walked, we try to be godly in our homes, godly in our decisions, godly in our worship, and our child grows up and he wants nothing to do with those things. That story is repeated over and over. We can put the names of preachers who kids are wicked as they could be. We can put the names of elders who kids are wicked as they could be. The names of men and women who walk with God, whose kids have grown up to be wicked. And so there's some lessons we learn from this. And the first lesson is our lives are built upon the choices that we make. Why did Manasseh do the things he did? It wasn't because he's influenced by his parents. It wasn't because he was raised that way. That's just the opposite. He chose that because he chose those things. Now, I want you to turn your Bible with me to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 18. And I want you to see how this is displayed to us in Ezekiel chapter 18. And again, to see this concept as God lays this out before this. Ezekiel chapter 18. There is before us two principles, or really one principle that's repeated twice. It's repeated in verse 4, and then it's said again in verse 20. And the principle simply is this, the soul who sins, he will die. That's the principle. If you do wrong, you will get in trouble. That's the principle. He says that at the beginning of this section, he says that at the end of this section. 
Now, I want you to notice something, and then I'm going to bring them up on the screen. I want you to read this. But there are three generations that are talked about here. In verse 5, he's going to talk about the first generation. He's going to talk about this man. Then we're going to get down to verse 10. He's going to talk about the second generation. This man has a son. We get down to verse 14, we get a third generation. This man's son has a son. Now, let's read this out, and let's see what takes place here. So the first generation, verse 5. If a man is righteous and practices justice and righteousness, does not eat at the mountain of shrines or lift up his eyes to idols of the house of Israel or defile his neighbor's wife or approach a woman during her menstrual period, if a man does not oppress anyone but restores to the debtor his pledge, does not commit robbery but gives his bread to the hungry, covers the naked with clothing if he does not lend money on interest or take an increase if he keeps his hand from iniquity and executes true justice between man and man. If he walks in my statutes and my ordinances so as to deal faithfully, he is righteous and will surely live, declares the Lord. Here is a righteous man, he says. Now, next verse, the next generation. Then he may have a violent son who sheds blood and who does who does any of those things to his brothers. Although he himself does not do any of these things, that he is, he eats at the mountain of shrines, defiles his neighbor's wife, oppresses the poor and the needy, commits robbery, does not receive a pledge, but lifts up his eyes to idols and commits abomination. He lends money on interest and takes increase. Will he live? He will not live. He has committed all these abominations. He will surely be put to death. Why? Because he made those choices. Now we come to the next generation. Verse 14. Behold, he has a son who has observed all his brother's sins, and he committed an observing not to do likewise. He does not eat at the mountain of shrines or lift up his eyes to idols or the house of Israel, defile his neighbor's wife, or presses anyone, but retains a pledge or commits robbery. But he gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with clothing, keeps his hand from the poor, does not take interest, but executes my ordinances, walks in my statutes. He does not die for his father's iniquity, but he will surely live. Then what he says as he goes on here, notice now begins verse 19. Yet you say, why should the son not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity when the son has practiced justice and righteousness and observed all my statutes and done them, he will surely live. The person who sins, he will die. And so what Ezekiel has shown us here is God views you based upon where you are now, not where you were. I used to go to church. I used to do these things. Where are you now? Well, I'm going to do this down the road. Once I get through with school, once we get more settled down the road, not where you're going to be, not where you were, where are you now? That's how God views us. And so we have Hezekiah, a righteous king, and a son who was unrighteous. Why was Manasseh unrighteous? He chose to do that. In the book of Judges, we read this passage. It says, all that generation, talking about Joshua's days, also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt and followed the other gods from among the gods. 
And so what he's talking about here is how another generation follows a righteous generation, but they don't do the same thing. Why do people turn out the way they do? It is the choices that they make. Now, think about this, moms and dads. If you do not make God and church a priority in your life, and I don't mean just a Sunday thing, because Monday through Saturday we can lie, cheat, and steal with the best of them. No. God is foremost in our hearts. God is something there every day of the week. Prayers are part of our home. This is who we are. If you do not make that a priority, your children will grow up, and that will be less of a priority to them. It didn't mean that much to them. It probably won't mean much to them. And then they will have children. It will mean no priority to them. And if they live long enough, they will have kids, and they don't even know who God is. Why is it our society is the way it is? It's by the choices they make, but they've been influenced by things around them. And so our lives are built upon the choices that we make. Now, some people get this idea that they want to be as close to wrong as they can be. They want to stand on the edge of wrong, and they want to see that. And these choices are going to color your life. They become who you are, and they're going to be what God evaluates your life upon. You know, some think that they're missing out if they're not drinking, staying out all night, pushing the edges of wrong. And this time explodes, especially in a young person's life when they go off to college. They don't have mom and dad knocking on the door telling them to get up, get ready for church. Now they see things that they were never, never able to do before in their life. And so for many of them, after four years at college, they come out with a university degree and no faith in God. What happens is drinking has replaced their faith. Sleeping in has replaced Sunday worship. What's happened is idle talk has replaced serious conversations about one's eternity. So when we think about this, why was Manasseh the way he was? It was because of the choices he made. Second, we need to realize along this line that our choices shape our lives. And then thirdly, our choices always, always come with consequences. They always do. Good consequences or bad consequences, they always do. When David saw Bathsheba bathing on a rooftop, there was a choice he had to make. There was consequences that came with that. When Achan saw that gold in Jericho and he wanted to st steal that, that came with consequences. The book of Deuteronomy says, choose life. Joshua says, choose you this day whom you will serve. To be saved or not, to be righteous or not, to be faithful or not, that's our choices. We can't hide behind the shadow of our moms and dads. We can't say this is the way it's always been. Where is our faith? Where is our conviction? Second lesson we learn from all this, and that is surrounding ourselves with the best people will only help you. And I define best people as not what they have in their bank account, not what degrees are hanging on their wall, not what they have accomplished in society, but who they are in Jesus Christ. That's the best people. And when we shut these people out of our lives, Manasseh, think about Manasseh. Think about sitting at that dinner table with dad, Hezekiah, hearing dad pray to Jehovah over and over and over again. Rather than learning from that, rather than taking that advantage, rather than realizing this is a step up, just think what good I can do because of where I started, he tossed it all away. And this is why our fellowship is so important. From our little ones up to our big ones, we need to get connected to the people of God. These need to be our friends. 
These need to be the people we talk to, get the advice from, and to see these things. This is why who you marry is so important. More than she cute, more than he makes me laugh, are these the people that are going to get me to heaven? That's so essential. And this is why our choice of friends is so important in our life as we think about that. And so if you want to learn this, how to save money, maybe you're starting off and you say, you know what, I'm not good at money. And I want to learn how to save money. Are you going to ask a broke cousin? No. He doesn't know what he's doing. Suppose you want to further your career and you want to go to the next level in your career. Are you going to get the advice of some guy who's unemployed and can't get a job? No. If you want to go to heaven, who are you going to hang around with? And who are you going to talk to? Somebody's going that direction, don't you? And that's what they see here. Where did Manasseh make a mistake? He made a mistake because he had righteous people in his life. And he didn't take advantage of that. The number three, you and I have such a wonderful advantage. We have a wonderful advantage. We have an advantage because, number one, the opportunity of our times. Resources. Every single day of the week. There are podcasts. There are blogs. There are videos. There are sermons. You can watch a sermon every single day of the week. Not just from this congregation, but from congregations throughout the world. Every day you can be encouraged. Every day you can be taught. Every day you can be made better. There's never been such a time like we are in right now. 20 years ago, we couldn't have done what we're doing today. And when the world says, oh, the pandemic, oh, the pandemic, oh, the pandemic, shots, vaccines, booster, where do we go? Mass, mass, mass. I say, this is the best time ever. Look what we can do spiritually. There's no reason for any person to be discouraged when the help of God is out there everywhere. There's no reason for a person not to know what God wants them to do when there's so much help out there everywhere. There's no reason to realize that on our phones, on our tablets, not only do I have the Bible, I can have as many translations as I want, and I can look the Word of God up anywhere I go. Every single week there's class material. Every week we're reminded of who the Lord is and how the Lord wants us to be. Jesus says, to whom much is given, much is required. I wonder, and I think we ought to be the brightest, strongest, most knowledgeable believers of all time. You think about that. When this Bible was first written, it was read, and people in the audience did not have a Bible to look at. And for generations, people could not afford a Bible like this. You have how many copies? You ever thought about that? How many Bibles do you own? You ever counted, done an inventory? We have tons of Bibles. How easy it is to get the Bible. Free apps to have the Bible. And so when you think about this, of all generations, the God of heaven might be looking down at this period in time and says, you folks, you folks ought to be walking the strongest, the brightest, going more, doing more than any other generation. Because look at all this stuff before you. A banquet table. And we forget to bring our fork. A banquet table and we go home hungry. How can that be? A banquet table and say, you know what? I just don't know. Why don't you know? Every single day you have these opportunities. Secondly, we have the powerful advantage of serving others. So easy to serve people today. 
Well, Brother Shouts, I'm not good with words. Good. Hallmark is. Go get a card and just write your name on that. That's all you have to do is write your name. Well, you know, I don't know what to say. Well, you don't have to say anything. Just write your name. Let Hallmark do it for you. Well, you know, I, I, I'm not comfortable seeing people face to face. Send them a text. Send them an email. Well, you know, i got a friend, and, and I'm kind of uncomfortable about inviting them. Well, send them a link to the sermon. Send them this. Send them that. We have so many ways of sharing things. This is one of the best times ever. Now, turn your Bibles with me to the book of Luke. We're going to look at two passages real quickly in the book of Luke. But there are four elements of serving. First element is there has to be a need. You know, you don't, if there's no need, there's nothing for you to do. So, you, so there has to be some need out there. Secondly, you have to know about that need. There has to be an awareness of this need. If I didn't know about it, I couldn't do anything about it. Thirdly, there has to be resources. In other words, I, I see what needs to be done. I'd like to help out, but I can't do anything because I have no resources. And then number four is you got to have a heart, a heart that cares. Now turn your Bible now and let's look at these two Luke passages, Luke chapter 16. And I want you to notice in both of these passages, all four of these things are found. Luke chapter 16 is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Notice what it says here in verse 19, verse 20. Now there's a certain rich man. He habitually dressed in purple, fine linen, gaily lived in splendor every day. That takes care of our resources, doesn't it? That guy has it. And a certain poor man, there's the need, named Lazarus, was laid at his gate. There's the awareness, covered with sores. What's lacking in this story was the heart. And that's why the rich man did that nothing. It wasn't that Lazarus was in Africa, and I'm in America, and I didn't know about it. It wasn't that Lazarus had all these medical bills, and I'm barely getting by, and I can't do anything. That's not the story. He had everything about him except the heart. Now, a few pages earlier in the book of Luke. Again, notice these four things. This takes us to the story of the Good Samaritan. Notice the contrast now, Luke chapter 10. Begin verse 33. But a certain Samaritan who was on his journey came upon him. There is the need. There is the awareness. Here's this hurt guy laying right here. I see that. He saw him and felt compassion. There's the heart. He came to him, bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil on them, put him on his own beast, and brought him to the inn and took care of him. There's resources. And on the next day, he took out two dinner and gave it to the innkeeper. There's more resources. You notice the difference in these stories? Both of them had a need. Both of them were aware. Both of them had resources. One had a heart and one didn't. You and I are living in a time where we can serve so many and do so much. And then number three, as we think about this, we have an opportunity to make a lasting difference a difference that will endure through the ages a difference that can touch families a difference that will be remembered a difference that can help other people these are the things i'm talking about now i'm not one to play tennis but in tennis there's this expression called advantage some of you play tennis and when they said advantage that means the next point you score you're going to win and when we think about this lesson Manasseh had advantage, but he didn't take care of it. You and I have the advantage and what we need to see about that. The advantage is ours if we take care of it. The Manasseh mistake. He grew up in an incredible home, and he never did anything about that. You know, the story is told a while back. 
H&R Block was doing this contest for people that use their services at tax time. And they were going to pick out one client and give them a million dollars. So people went and had their taxes done. They chose one family. Won a million dollars. Phone call was made to that family. The man picked up the phone. This is an H&R Block. I want you to know you won our contest. A million dollars. The man hung up. Scam. Called back. Hung up again. They sent a letter. He ripped it up. Why do I keep getting these scams? H&R Block sent a representative to his home. Knocked on the door. The man looked through the little thing there. And I don't recognize who that is. I'm not answering the door. Finally, they got on the Today Show. And a representative from H&R Block says, we're trying to reach this family. They won a million dollars. If anybody know them, please contact them to contact us. And so finally it was done. And the man said, I didn't think anything that good to come to somebody like me. Sometimes that's how we feel. I don't think anything that good can come to me. What we see here is a wonderful illustration today of Manasseh and a powerful father. His father did so much good, and his son did so much bad. I don't know why God allowed him to reign that long. I sometimes think if I was up in heaven, I'd give him about two weeks and start messing up. Goodbye. You're gone. Next king. But God gave him 55 years, longer than anyone else. Maybe God was being patient with him. Maybe God was thinking, you know, somewhere in the back of his thick skull, he's going to think about his daddy and all the good he did for that nation. How prosperous they were, how happy they were, how good they were, and maybe he'll get back to where he needs to be. I don't know if that's the story or not. But for a long, long time, his wickedness just got less or more and more and more. And so this morning, there's lots of applications to this lesson. Moms and dads, you got to get busy. You got to get busy. You got to be the Hezekiah of your family. You got to lay down the rules. You got to lay down, this is what we do. They need to see righteousness every day in your home. They need to see you saying prayers. When bad news happens, they need to see that you're taking it to the Lord. If the Assyrians are attacking, I'm going to take it to the Lord. Someone's mocking me, I'm going to take it to the Lord. Doctor says I'm going to die, I'm going to take it to the Lord. They need to see that in your life. But then as well, all of us are standing right there at the brink of where Manasseh was. I fear that down the road, some families we have here, once mom and dad are on the other side, we may not see some of you. And I think sometimes why you're here is because mom and dad is here. You don't have a faith, maybe. Maybe you're like Hezekiah, and you haven't developed that faith. And like Manasseh, you're just waiting your time. Once mom and dad are out here, I'm not going to go to church anymore. Once they're not here, why should I? I'm just here so mom and dad will be happy. Is that your case? Are you going to go down the road of Manasseh and just do evil and wicked and selfishness? That's how it is. And what I want us to see from this lesson, a great second application is, you are making your own choices. You have to decide, I love the Lord. I follow the Lord. If my folks are not here, 
you're still going to see me here because this is right and I love Jesus Christ. If my folks all drop off the end of the earth, I'm still going to be here. If dad says one day, you know what? I'm into atheism. Good luck with that, dad. I'll see you after search on Sunday because I'm still going. You make your choices. You're determining your destiny. And when this old life is all over, and God decides whether you go to heaven or hell, it's not because God decides that ahead of time. Oh, I like the way this one looks. He goes to heaven. Oh, that one, I never did like, I never did like his face. He doesn't make it. God doesn't do that. God does that based upon your choices. You decide heaven. You decide hell. You decide whether you want to be with Jesus forever. And it starts now. Walking with him. Making these choices. Am I going to pray when there's bad news? Or am I going to cuss? Am I going to drink alcohol? Or am I going to be righteous? Am I going to live as God wants me to live? Or am I going to live selfishly? Am I going to do as little as possible? Or am I going to do as much as possible? We're in a congregation. Listen to me now. We're in a congregation right now. Not just across this world, which I hear from all the time, but even in this country, folks would die to be a member here every single week. You guys have so much opportunity. You have so much going on. There's so many things. And I just wonder if we're Arch Manning sitting down at the dinner table at Thanksgiving and telling the hairs all these superstars, there's old Peyton getting the mashed potatoes. He's got so many rings on his finger. And there's old Eli getting some chicken over here. He's got rings on his finger. There's his grandpa, Archie. He's got rings on his finger. And we're saying, you know what? I like being the ice cream boy down at the ice cream shop. Are we missing opportunity? What an advantage we have. And that's what I want us to see. We're here to help you to get heaven. Well, Brother Jason and I, we're working as hard as we can work. We're just doing stuff every single day to help you. We're putting the best we can think of on the table, but you've got to bring your fork. You have to eat of it. And when we go home discouraged, we go home hungry, we go home saying, you know, I just don't know. You need to think about the advantage you have. There's Hezekiah and there's Manasseh. Which one am I going to be? We can help you anyway this morning. Won't you come as we stand, as we sing?